0: So, Have you a tinfoil hat on, Todd. I, I need, I'm going to go and get it if it happens again. I can't believe it keeps happening. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am the host of this baby. Is this a baby? This, uh. This podcast baby, let's call it that. And I'll be your uh, guide through the next uh, podcast. And today is a good one for sure. So here we are, rocketing towards the end of the year. Can you believe another year? God, I just, I can't even believe it's happened, but it happened. So here we are. We're rocketing to another year, and everything's going grand. And I'm getting ready to make the, that'll come this month, the big announcement of what next year's theme will be. So hold on for that, because you'll enjoy that immensely. I'm positive of that. But before then, we probably ought to do us a little podcasting, don't you think? And I think that's a good plan. So I've actually asked a friend of mine, Paul Cullen, to be a part of this podcast. He'll introduce himself, but he's a commercial pilot on the Europe side of the equation, not on the United States side of the equation, although it doesn't make much difference. Paul's great. Paul's great. And I've uh, kept up with Paul, mostly by email, and he has a project that he started. He's uh, he's on the teaching faculty uh, in Ireland at a uh, quite a Trinity college, if you know it. If you want to see the Book of Kells, that's where it's hidden. No, it's not hidden. It's actually quite not hidden. That's where it's stored. That's a better word. Anyway, Paul's here to uh, to tell us about a topic that I think is really interesting and a and in sort of a a great combining a commingling if you will of safety health and wellness but it's from sort of this high reliability side of the house and i think you'll find this to be well i don't know what to say other than uh this is a really good podcast kind of shocking if you travel a lot it's really shocking but it's it's worthwhile he's got a he's got an ask of us and that's that's why This podcast is so important. If you're a pilot or you know a pilot or you hang out with pilots, uh, pass this along because I think this project is really valuable. So so let me not kill a bunch of time. Let's jump into the podcast, and then I'll come back and tell you more about it after the podcast is over. So without any further ado, the Pre-Accident Podcast, glad to have you on board. Thank you for listening. It it means so much to me. Um, Let's listen to to Paul Cullen and I. And we'll have a uh, we'll have a conversation, and and you get to be a part of it.
1: Okay, Todd. First of all, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Uh, Paul Paul Cullen is my name. I'm a pilot. Uh, Twenty years I've been flying. Uh, I'm also a trained accident investigator, and uh, to make things even more interesting, I'm a researcher in the School of Psychology in Trinity College in Dublin. Uh, I suppose my main qualification for leading the research project that I'm doing, which is uh, called the lived experience of a pilot, is that I'm a uh, human. Uh, I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. Uh, I'm a friend. Uh, and then in my little spare time, I have left. I'm an athletics coach and I'm also in a band. So uh, my life is very, very busy. Uh, and as I said, I am human, like all pilots. And uh, I suppose... Against what most people think, we, we do have strengths, but we also have vulnerabilities. Uh, the Myers-Briggs tests would probably say that most pilots are stable extroverts. But I would argue that it's not that simple. There's an awful lot more going on with pilots, and that needs to be addressed.
0: But it's worked traditionally in the past because we've put so much emphasis on pilot reliability. So we spend millions of dollars training you guys and monitoring you guys. I mean, I think, well, first of all, your qualifications, as soon as you said you were a human and a musician, and played in a band you made it with me so let's just let's just start there but we we spend a lot of time supporting you guys is is the current system robust enough is it effective enough i d- i
1: don't think it is uh i really don't i think the whole area of mental health particularly in pilots is is just not understood uh it's not given enough focus uh, i think it's easy to just pass off well, not 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 easy to pass off, but it, it's easy to put something down as pilot error. But what I'm trying to understand is why and what is the role of mental health in accidents that have happened over the years? It's, it's very difficult to tell uh, when you listen to a cockpit voice recorder or you look at the data from a black box or a post mortem. You, you can't tell what went on in the pilot's head. Uh, we just see pilot error human error the whole time but trying to understand why that that's what i want to get to
0: and i think that's a rich and we know there's been we know there's been issues we know there's been uh suicidal actions i mean th- th- there's a history of this do you think we don't want to talk about this because it's so scary
1: and uh, yeah i think both sides of the cockpit door don't want to talk about it. I I don't think the pilots really want to talk about it yet. Uh, I don't think the airlines or the regulators or even the pilot associations are really ready to talk about it, but we need to, we need to move forward and we need to talk about it. Uh, just, Just to put things in perspective and to give you, an idea of where I'm coming from on this. Uh, From 2011 to 2013, I was director of safety with my pilot association, the Irish Airline Pilot Association. And during that time, I had several dealings with pilots in distress. And these guys were really struggling. And in, in talking to them and helping these guys get help, I started to scratch my head and ask, what's going on with these guys? Like these guys are stable extroverts. They're, they have the right stuff. They're, they're the same as me. So they shouldn't be having these problems. And when I spoke to them, I realized that these guys were delaying getting help because they, they believed they were the only people that have ever had that problem. And they saw themselves as the exception. But I became quite concerned at the number of people that were looking for help and also the severity of their problems and also how late on in the game they waited before they got help. I actually spoke to the psychologist that, that we have on our books and that we refer these guys to. And I, I I raised that point with him that we're supposed to be having the right stuff. And he laughed and he said, that's actually the problem. You guys all believe that bullshit. That's the words he used. And he explained that we're all human. We're all only human. And regardless of when we were screened, when we came into the airline, how we were tested or what our personality is, every single one of us, you, I, Neil Armstrong, Chuck Yeager, they all had the same vulnerabilities. And he actually laughed and suggested that I read some of the autobiographies of some of these guys and I'd realized how messed up they were, too. I would always have been very inquisitive. I was always that kid in school who asked why. Uh, I could never accept a no for an answer. It was always followed by a no, or so followed by a why. Uh, so I started looking in the, the libraries, in the universities, and looking for scientific literature on studies that have been done on pilots and understanding psychological issues in pilots, and I found that there was almost nothing. There was a a good deal done on military pilots and astronauts, but very, very little had been done on airline pilots. So, as per my inquisitive nature, I start talking to people. In total, over an 18-month period, I spoke to 103 of my colleagues, and unknown to them, I was doing, I suppose unknown to myself as well at that stage, I was doing preliminary field research. I would steer the conversation Towards sources of the stress. I was asking these guys, what was it about the job that caused them problems?
0: What did they say? What did they answer? I'd be so curious. Well, this
1: is it. Like, I got a lot of stuff. Sort of stuff that the guys complained about, I could relate to. A lot lot of it I could relate to. Some of it, it didn't apply to me. Uh, But that was just because of my stage in life. But the typical sort of stuff that came up was, say, for instance, working anti-social hours. Working irregular hours yeah. uh, the restrictions on annual leave uh, the changing nature of the job a lot of pilots feel that there's a race to the bottom and that we're been the, the level of responsibility we've been burdened with is increasing, but the level of autonomy is reducing, and that was causing guys a lot of problems uh, so at the time I was working in Trinity College as a human factors consultant on various projects. And I was raising this with the psychologists in there. And they, to be honest, there wasn't a huge level of interest because I don't think they, they realized how important this was. And then out of the blue, we had German wings and German wings blew the doors wide open. Yeah. All of a sudden everyone wanted to talk about pilot mental health and that, that gave us great ammunition then when we, myself and another psychologist, the human factor psychologist, approached a clinical psychologist who we'd seen on the local media talking about mental health issues and pilots. So we contacted him. We brought with him the list of sources of the stress that I had identified. And with his help, we created what we called the lived experience of a pilot. Okay, so when we went to see the clinical psychologist, he explained to us about what's called the biopsychosocial model of health. That, that, that's so mouthful, I can't get my mouth around it either. But it basically explains health or well-being as a three-legged stool. We have three pillars of our health, our physical, our mental, and our social. That's the biological, the psychological, and the social. As with any three-legged stool, if you weaken one leg, you're going to weaken the whole stool. The stool will topple and it will bring down the two legs with it. What that means is if our physical health suffers ultimately it will affect our mental health and our social health. Likewise our psychological health can affect our physical health and our social health and our social health can affect our physical health and our mental health. There's various things that affect each of those three pillars. It was explained to us that our physical health is affected primarily by our exercise, our diet and our sleep. Our psychological health, our mental health is affected by our attitudes, our beliefs, our values, our coping mechanisms and our stress management techniques. And then our social health is all about our social network. And that's not Facebook, that's not the internet, that's our friendships, the people around us, the shoulders we have to cry on and the people who cry on our shoulders. So we looked at the sources of stress, the sources of the stress that the pilots described and we were able to identify pathways that the different social, the different sources of stress, for instance in our physical health, the ones that were identified were the fact that pilots work irregular hours, the sedentary nature of the job, the fact that we work long duties, the fact that we're confined to the cockpit. We mostly eat a highly processed diet on the cockpit and we work anti-social hours. And it was demonstrated to us that these factors increase the likelihoods of pilots developing burnout, fatigue, increased risk of gastrointestinal issues, increased risk of obesity, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, risks of diabetes and metabolic syndromes, and increased risk of cancer. That's only the physical aspect of the job. We then went and looked at the mental aspect of the job. And the sources of the stress that the pilots identified to me were the sense of increased responsibility with reduced authority, been confined to the cockpit, irregular hours, the perception that pilots live the dream, the perception that pilots possess the right stuff, the changing nature of the industry, the high initial training costs to get into the job, the high stress and responsibility, once again, the antisocial hours, and a high level of automation and periods of low stimulation in the job, all those sources of distress were demonstrated to increase, a decrease, so increase the risk of a decreased sense of self-worth, increased risk of anxiety and depression, reduced coping mechanisms, increased risk of burnout, increased stress, and a sense of isolation. And then finally, we did the same analysis on the sources of distress that related to the social pillar. And they demonstrated that pilots have increased risk of lack of peer support, loneliness and isolation, having a poor social network and a strained strained home life with increased risk of marital discord. Jeez. Yeah. So.
0: Plus, plus if I may, Paul, and, and I could be really wrong on this, but my, my hunch is, is that if you if you put yourself into question space for fitness, for duty, the consequences, you get pulled off your job that you love. And so by saying you're having stress, you're actually putting your career at risk, which means you can't feed your family, which means you have more stress, right?
1: Uh, Possibly, but I don't believe it needs to be that way. And these are all hazards. They're they're threats out there. at the end of the day, aviation is a high-risk operation, but we, we normally manage the risks. And I would argue that these risks are not been managed. Uh, have you I, I'm sure you've probably seen Gary Larson, the far side cartoons Love that were Gary out. Larson. Yeah. Do you remember the photograph or the, the picture he had? And it was two pilots sitting in a cockpit, and they look out the window, and there's a mountain goat sitting there among the clouds. <laughs> And one of them says to the other, say, what's a mountain goat doing way up here in a cloud bank? <laughs> that picture I have in a picture frame sitting here in front of me in my kitchen. I love that picture. I love Gary Larson. But that's the picture that I use as my opening slide every time I talk about this.
0: But I, I believe. This, I think this topic. I think the way you're looking at this is super interesting and very novel. I really like what you just said. It really helped me. That these are hazards without controls. These are, these are risks that we've not mitigated because we've not thought of them as risks. That's remarkable.
1: And even if we haven't thought, thought of them as risks, I think part of the issue is, I don't know whether this is a proper term, but I've kind of coined it, risk applicability. Knowing that a risk is there, but thinking that you're immune to that risk or it just doesn't apply to you. What I particularly like about that cartoon that Gary Larson did with the goat in the cloud, a good way of analysing how risk is normally managed in aviation is to think of mountains and airplanes crashing into mountains. Back in the 1950s and 1960s, airplanes were slamming into the side of mountains at an alarming rate. But we didn't ban airplanes from flying in mountainous regions, nor did we try bulldoze the mountains. What we did was we tried to keep the airplanes between the mountains. So the mountains are still there. The airplanes are still operating in the mountainous regions. But how did we do that? Well, how we did that was, first of all, it was predictive risk they wanted to know where are the mountains. So to allow the pilots know where the mountains were, they gave the pilots maps. And then to bring it up another level, they defined what were called minimum safe altitudes. In a particular region, a pilot could descend to this altitude and he'd be safe. They also created airways through mountainous regions that if a pilot navigated along a prescribed track, he knew he was safe. And then to get down low, Onto the runway, they created instrument approach procedures. So the airplanes were, the pilots were flying, not looking out the window, but looking at their needles. It was far more precise. That was great. The pilots knew where the mountains were. But the problem still continued because although they knew where the mountain was, they didn't know where they were in relation to the mountain. So then they beefed up the navigation on the airplanes. We now have the likes of GPS where pilots can know they're within a meter. Of where they should be and they also improved the automatics on the airplane they improved the autopilots and the auto trust. and then if it still all went wrong they had a new system called gpws ground proximity warning system that's the system that screams at the pilot terrain terrain pull up pull up and they pull away from the mountain so you have a combination of predictive and preventative risk management that's to try to prevent the problem from arising but if the problem does arise, then you had GPWS to fall back on. And since they've done that, the incidence of GPWS events has almost been got rid of. There are still some events, but there's nowhere near what there was. But I would argue with Pilot Mental Health, what we have in place now is just reactive. Since German wings, what they've done, they've basically mandated psychological screening and testing at the recruitment stage, and they've mandated peer support groups for pilots. That's like first aid. What other aspect of health do we rely purely on treatment? Whatever other aspect of health, whether it's cancer prevention or heart disease prevention, there's health promotion. We try to promote good practices. We educate people to the risks in their life that will increase the likelihood of developing a disease. And they, they try to avoid those risks. And if they still get the disease, then the disease is treated. But that seems to be all the aviation industry seems to be doing about pilot mental health, is dealing with the problem rather than the source.
0: That's remarkable. How can we help you with this research? I mean, first of all, how do you get this through human studies? And secondly, how can we help you? I mean, where else are you looking? What else is happening? Well, I don't
1: think a whole lot is happening. Uh, I've yet to meet anyone else doing what we're trying to do. And I've spoken at length at at various conferences. I've addressed the Flight Safety Foundation. I've addressed the Royal Article Society in London. uh, I've addressed Eurocontrol in Europe. And they're all very receptive. And what we are now trying to do is to carry out what I believe is the first of its kind. It's a detailed general health questionnaire looking at pilots. Recent studies have been done. For instance, I'll give you some figures here. In 2016, Harvard in the United States surveyed a load of pilots, and they reported that just over 12 and a half percent of pilots within the, last, within the previous two weeks met the threshold for clinical depression. That That's quite alarming if you consider that. Right now, in the general population, it's estimated that 16% of the population are dealing with a mental health issue. Now, that includes the entire spectrum right. of mental health problems, not just clinical depression. That includes everything. Yet 12.5% of pilots surveyed met the threshold for clinical depression or a major depressive disorder. In that same survey, over the same time frame, just over 4% of pilots were having suicidal thoughts. This year, the University of Eindhoven reported studies that they did on British pilots, and they measured levels of burnout and disengagement. And they reported that forty four zero percent of the pilots studied were suffering with burnout. In 2016, again, another study that was done by the London School of Economics, funded by the European Commission, and also Eurocontrol, they studied over 7,000 pilots. And of that 7,000 pilots, only 17% believed that their company cared about their well being, and only 21% believed that fatigue was taken seriously in their organization. In 2013, another study that was conducted by a good friend of mine, a study into organizational behavior, he assessed the adherence to a recently modified safety critical. Uh, standard operating procedure in an airline, it was was the go around procedure and he found that 20% of the crews were unsuccessful in carrying out that newly modified uh, SOP. And what was really interesting there was there was a correlation between the likelihood of a successful outcome and the experience level of the captain. However, it was a negative correlation which meant the more experienced the captain was, the less likely he would carry out the SOP correctly. And they reported that this was due to fatigue and disengagement of the crews.
0: This is a lot interesting. Of, this is, yeah. This, this like research a lot of is folks, really compelling. Yeah.
1: Like if I was to say to you, well, obviously your mind is a bit probably open more now, but this morning, if you had thought of, Pilots and mental health. There's a very high likelihood that you would have thought of German wings. Would I be right in saying that?
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: Well, I would argue that German wings is about is is as about as representative of what's going on in mental health and aviation as one flew over the cuckoo's nest is representative of mental health in the general population. Wow. That's the extreme. It's the absolute Extreme. I remember a good few months ago, one of your podcasts, you had the aerospace physiologist guy on, uh Joe Ballas, I think his name was fatigue guy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was talking about fatigue. And he said that just like human error, fatigue is a human condition. It's normal, and I think it was you then that said it's part of everything. Yeah, so mental health is part of the human condition. It's everywhere, it's normal it's just like the mountains we just need to fly around the mountains S- since 1982 as far as i know now i could be wrong i I've, I've limited resources i have no budget for this research it's it's just myself and two colleagues but since 1982 i've counted eight fatal accidents that have been attributed to pilot suicide in that same period there's been approximately 1,500 other fatal accidents that have not been related to suicide. So just over 99.5% of all fatal accidents have not been due to suicide. Yet the amount of focus that's been put on the prevention of pilot suicide related accidents. I personally know of two pilots who have taken their own lives, but it wasn't an aircraft accident. It was the same as anyone else, anyone in the general population. Absolutely tragic, taking their own lives, but it did not involve the use of an airplane. So if 70%, approximately 70% of fatal accidents are attributed to human or pilot error, I think we need to start looking a bit closer and asking, well, what's causing this human pilot error? It's not good enough to just say lack of situational awareness or fatigue we need to look closer and we need to try to understand how can we prevent this. Our, our state of mind is a performance shaping factor, which can either be positive or it can be negative. Confidence, a lack of confidence. Uh, training can be positive, training can be negative. Experience levels, tiredness, alertness. I had a personal experience of this earlier on in the summer. I'm flying just over 20 years. I've had a fairly good track record. I wouldn't have been ace at the base. I wasn't test pilot material, but I met the standard. And for the first time in my career, I came along a speed bump. We were coming to the end of a very busy summer. It was taking its toll on me. It was taking its toll on my wife, my kids. Our life was all suffering. Myself and my wife had a disagreement. We had an argument. I went to bed. I went to bed upset. I didn't sleep particularly well. Got up the following morning, went into work. Luckily I was only going into a simulator and not a real airplane and I was doing my six monthly check. And for the first time in my career, I didn't pass. It was an incredibly humiliating experience and it certainly took the wind out of my sails. I was taken off the line for a few days. I was sent back for supplementary training. I cleared my head. I went back in and I aced the check. I was so grateful that that fall from grace for me, happened in a simulator and not in an airplane. That was first-hand experience to me, how your state of mind, what's going on outside of the cockpit at home can affect how you perform in a cockpit. I really think that the risks around pilots' state of mind, if you want to call it state of mind rather than mental health to get rid of some of the stigma, it needs to be managed. But how can we manage something if we don't monitor it or we don't at least measure it. And I had the pleasure 12 months ago of speaking on the same stage as Eric Holnegel, And uh, he actually spoke before me. I I finished up. I was the uh, the main act. But uh, Eric spoke about safety one and safety two. And I was sitting there thinking, listening to him talk about safety one, where we focus on what went wrong. And then the new view about where we focus on what went right, and I thought about mental health and how we manage it. And I argue we're safety zero. We don't know why things go right. We don't know why things go wrong. You look at someone like Sullenberger who so skillfully put an airplane down into the the Hudson, and then you look at something like Air France four four seven, a perfectly serviceable aircraft which ended up crashing into the Atlantic with the loss of everyone. And why was two situations why was the outcome so different i think we need to look dig deeper i don't think the risks associated with mental health have been managed at all i think a bit like fatigue there's philosophies out there to manage it from the philosophy stem policies and from the policies stem procedures but i think that's where it ends just like fatigue in an awful lot of instances the risks of mental health. We may have procedures, but we don't have a procedure that's reflected in practice. And as this industry changes, I mentioned earlier on, the industry's changed. I'm flying 20 years. What I'm seeing now doesn't compare to what it was 20 years ago when I started. Is that good? Is that bad? It's kind of irrelevant, really. It is what it is. And we can't get the genie back into the bottle. I think 9-11 changed the industry. It's unrecognizable now but we can't undo that we just need to adapt and i think one of the most misquoted quotes in history was by charles darwin and i can't even find the exact text that he said but it was something along the lines it was about resilience it's not the strongest of the species that survive but the most adaptable right i think as individuals as an industry we need to adapt to this new terrain. Right now, I would argue that what we are doing is we're flying blindly into an abyss. As pilots, we are unknowingly and unwillingly participating, possibly in the largest biopsychosocial experiment that has been held ever, I would argue. The parameters haven't been defined, the end game hasn't been defined, and I would also argue that if it was ever sought to get ethical permission to carry out such an experiment, it would be denied. We have no idea what this job is doing to pilots. Airlines across the world at the moment are spending millions, absolute millions, on what's called upset prevention and recovery training, UPRT. It's the the recent liner accident, I'm sure there's gone to something. I'm not gonna comment on that. I know the social media is going wild at the moment about that. I'd rather wait until the accident report is out
0: yes
1: and rather than speculate but i would guarantee that there'll be issues about upset prevention recovery training in that in the same way as there was when air france 447 when that report came out colgan air a lot of incidents and accidents lately have been due to airplanes becoming upset and the pilots been unable to recover the airplane but it's not just airplanes that become upset it's not just airplanes that need to be prevented from becoming upset and when they do become upset, need to be recovered. Pilots need to be prevented from becoming upset, and they need to learn to recover, too.
0: So tell, tell me about that survey.
1: So the survey we have, it went live earlier on this week. As I said, I spoke earlier on about the Harvard study that measured the levels of clinical depression and suicidal thoughts. I spoke about the burnout. We've created a similar study We're using the identical tools, the instruments that those scientists use to measure clinical depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, burnout, exhaustion, disengagement. But unlike those studies that measured the extent of the problem, we want to dig deeper and we want to understand the why. I spoke earlier on about the three pillars of health. We're going to dig in and we're going to look at those three pillars We're going to ask pilots about their diet, about their exercise levels, about their sleep, about their family makeup, whether they have children, whether they're married, whether they're divorced, we're going to ask them about their attitudes, their beliefs, their values, their coping mechanisms, their stress management techniques. We're going to ask them about their social life. So not only are we going to have a measure of the problem, we're also going to have a measure of what's going on in those individuals' lives. And it's worth pointing out that not every pilot is suffering. There's probably more pilots thriving and surviving in the very same environment, facing the very same sources of work-related stress as those pilots that are struggling. And that's what we want to understand. We want to understand the guy who's thriving and we want to understand the guy that's struggling because I believe there's lessons to be learned from both groups. So just imagine you and I, Todd, are both pilots. You're doing fine. I'm not, I'm on my knees. I want to learn what is it that makes Todd so mentally well. And you want to find out is what is it about Paul that's causing Paul to struggle so that you can avoid my lifestyle behaviors and I can try adopt some of yours. And hopefully, we can effectively inoculate the mental health of pilots and, in effect, improve air safety.
0: Perfect. Who gets to take this questionnaire? Who takes the survey?
1: Anyone. As long as you're a pilot. We have, as I said, we have very limited resources. We've had to rely on SurveyMonkey. It's an online survey that any pilot can take. The link is quite straightforward. It's www.surveymonkey.com backslash or, for Roger, backslash pilot well-being study. That's all one word. Once again, it's www.surveymonkey.com backslash or backslash pilot well-being study.
0: Excellent. Very good, man.
1: Great stuff, Todd.
0: Oh. So that's the podcast. It's, I don't even know where to start. I'm just perplexed. I'm tongue-tied. If you know a pilot, I think this survey is very interesting. The mental health numbers don't surprise me because the normal mental health numbers um, don't surprise me. So, you know, pilots are normal people, so that wouldn't surprise me. What I found most stimulating, and, and it'd be, I'm curious to see what you think, is that what I thought was going to be a discussion around the chilling effect wasn't. It was a discussion around keeping the plane from flying into the mountains. And the fact that mental health is normal and that mental health issues would be a part of that normal and that if there's no way to talk about them, discuss them, uh, understand them, identify them, or, or, or treat them, then we'll not get better. It, it has to be a part of the same thinking that keeps the plane from flying in the mountains. It's It's all a big part of reliability. That was quite a lesson for me. I I don't know about you, but I'm humbled and pretty darn proud of this and glad to be a part of this. It's a good podcast. Tell your friends. Have your pilot friends listen to this. That matters a lot. This is the Pre-Accident Podcast. Thank you for listening, subscribing. If you get a chance to write a review, that's meaningful. All of that stuff matters. Mostly, I'm just really glad you're part of this community of thought. It helps us a ton. So there you go, my friends. That was it. That is the podcast for today. Learn something new every single day. I did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe. You sound really good. I look better. (laughs) That is a good line.